0: Hello, welcome back to the Pulpit to Pew podcast in this week's adult Bible studies. We continue through the book of Romans Today we came to the second half of chapter number eight and see some more of the benefits of having the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you resides in you from the moment of your salvation so Without further ado, let's jump into this week's study. All right, Romans chapter 8. We're going to go back there. We started last week. and We got through about 17 verses last week, I believe. 17 verses in this. And it, it, when we kind of ended, it was talking a little bit about really some of the blessings that come with the Spirit of God. you got to remember that in chapter 7, when we talked about the struggle of the Christian life when we're trying to depend upon our own strength and our own everything there was no mention of the Holy Spirit we got to the very end and Paul finally told us the secret which we've known but he said that the key is and he gives thanks because of Jesus Christ it's Jesus that gives the victory then chapter 8 there's like 20 some references to the Holy Spirit you're coming off zero references to the Holy Spirit in in a chapter of struggle to 20-some references of the Holy Spirit, reminding us that we are in Christ. It is the Spirit that puts to death sin. It's the Spirit that helps us overcome sin. That you and I now are not to live under the bondage of sin. We saw, we saw that in chapter 6. Sin's no longer our master. We have a new master. Sin was a terrible master and always led us to frustration and discouragement and all kinds of things. Whereas God is a great master who loves us and he gives us the Spirit of God to guide us and to help us to overcome sin but we got to yield to that we got to reckon that to be true all that's chapter six when we try to overcome and fight sin in our own strength we live in chapter seven a lot of the frustration and struggle and the things i i don't want to do i'm doing the things i know i should do i'm not doing and all of that frustration was in chapter seven but when we got to chapter eight we begin to see we have no condemnation now in christ jesus but sometimes if I walk in my flesh, I'm going to feel condemned. But if I walk in the spirit, the condemnation, the feeling of condemnation is not there. The fact of condemnation is not there anyways, but the feeling is no longer there. And then we kind of we, when we got on down, we talked about how the spirit, but through the spirit, we are adopted into the family of God. So the moment of salvation you're adopted into the family of God, but it's not an adoption um like we would think it was an adoption in the Roman culture that all your debts are canceled and you are given the full riches and benefit of your new family. And you and I all of our debt of sin has been canceled and we now have the riches of Christ available to us and Ephesians talks a little bit more about that. And then we get so now we come to chapter 8 verse 18 is where we're going to pick up and notice what he says He's going to talk a little bit about suffering for the first few verses. Because in the Christian life, even with the Holy Spirit, you're going to suffer. But he makes this, he doesn't give all of the answers to suffering in this one piece. But he he reminds us of something that's important. He says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. So he's talking about and talking to maybe some Christians in the Roman culture that are going through some difficult suffering. Paul could speak to this because Paul suffered. Paul went through a lot of suffering. You go over to 2 Corinthians and read as he just lists out some of the suffering that he went through. And so there was suffering that happens in the Christian life. And he said, but the one of the things to help, there's, it's not going to put it away. It's not like you're going to face suffering and be like, oh, this is easy because of this truth right here. But he said, one of the principles that's going to help you in suffering is re- be reminded of the glory that's going to come. To get your eyes to heaven. That it's as bad as it's going to get on this earth, but the better times are coming. Brian illustrated it in our time before prayer. We were talking about it, and he illustrated it this way. And I remember, I'm going to add to his, his, what he said. But when we were kids, we would come to church, and this was before DVR, and Indiana Hoosiers would be playing basketball. And it seemed to be playing either on a Wednesday night or maybe on a Sunday when we couldn't get to the game. So back then they had those you know, those uh, cassette tapes. And so we would put it in. You push play and record at the same time. And we would be recording the the, the game. So when we got home, maybe if we slipped up, and there wasn't internet then, so if maybe someone told us, or I don't know, if we already knew who had won. Maybe we didn't watch it that day. We watched it the next day. But we already knew who won. So we would... Maybe we knew Indiana won. But we're watching the game. We're, we've rewound it. Now you hit that rewind button, you know, and you wait. And he goes, remember all that? We rewind, And it stops. We hit play. We're watching it. And maybe Indiana gets down 10 points. And we're, we as fans are suffering, which we've suffered for a long time. But we as fans are suffering. But if we already know the outcome of that game, and we already know because they played it yesterday, we already know they're going to win, i'm not as worried down 10 i'm not worried at all down 10 because i know the outcome already well that's the idea of the christian life when we're going through suffering you already know the outcome of our lives that even the worst thing that we can imagine which is death we're going to be in heaven we're going to be in the presence of god and so one of the ideas he's talking about here is he says he's t- there's going to be some suffering in the Christian life. The Spirit of God's not going to take away suffering from your life. But know that, the, the, keep your eyes fixed on what is ahead. Don't focus on the suffering. Focus on what is to come. It's not saying everything you suffer is going to lead to death, hopefully. But it's saying that you, you can overcome. The Spirit of God that you now have will help you through some of the suffering. And then if death does come... Heaven awaits us, but then he gets into some interesting little verses, and I'm not going to get too bogged down into. But notice, I'm just going to read a few. Starting in verse 19, he says, "For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God." He's talking about creation here. Creation's waiting for that big reveal, heaven for us, the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from bondage of corruption and the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now, and not only they, but ourselves also, which have the firstfruits of the Spirit. Even we groan ourselves within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body for we are saved by hope but hope that is seen is not hope for that which man seeth why doth he yet hope for but if we hope for that which for that we see not then do we with patience wait for it then i'll stop right there and get in more so he gets into this little bit talking about how just like we suffer creation is suffering let me ask you a quick quiz question when did creation begin to suffer remember the fall of Adam and Eve right because God placed a curse on this earth as well and this earth that was so beautiful now because of the condemnation of sin which we as mankind brought about now even the earth suffers and I've got a few as I've been out clearing some four-wheeler paths I ran into some thorns and some uh, And that's all because of mankind's sin. Those thorns wouldn't be giving me a problem before all that. But even creation itself suffers. And and, and, and Paul's taking a time to kind of say, it's, it's kind of an interesting decision in the writing, but it's inspired by God. But he's talking about how just like we would suffer and groan, creation suffers and groans. And creation's waiting for man to get his full redemption, heaven, because creation is going to get in there's a new heavens and a new earth and the in the corruption that's going on in this earth is going to be renewed as well so he says there's a groaning that's going to happen and he just kind of opens here talking about yes all this stuff's wonderful about the holy spirit but the holy spirit's not going to remove you from suffering but he's going to give you a grace in suffering to be able to overcome and to be able to endure. But then there's something else. It's not just the Spirit giving a grace, but look at verse 26. Now we come back to some, maybe some verses you're familiar with, but he says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered and he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the spirit because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of god this is some great verses right here because you and i in our infirmities or in our suffering sometimes we'd sit down to pray and we're like i just don't know what to say i just don't know what to pray i don't know what to do i don't know how many times i've said that maybe some of you have thought that before when you've prayed i don't know what about to do about the situation but the good news is behind the scenes in the midst of everything else that he's doing the holy spirit is praying for us to the father seems an interesting situation because he's the part of the triune god but he prays for us he intercedes the word intercede means to pray for someone else and when we prayed for these today, Steve Daly and Steve Pitts and some of this family of Nicole's, we were interceding on their behalf. And so the Spirit of God intercedes for us with, it says, with groanings which cannot be uttered. There's so many different opinions on that. Really, my view is I don't care about the groanings as long as that praying is going on. As long as the Holy Spirit's praying for me, he can groan, he can do whatever it is, okay? I think there's some explanation in all that but the key part is the holy spirit is praying for us he knows our infirmities he's aware of our infirmities he's aware of our sufferings and he prays for us even when we don't know in the last part of verse 27 he says make it the intercession for the saints according to the will of god when he prays it's always according to the will of god or sometimes i pray kind of selfish james tells me i have not because i ask not or i ask a that I may consume it upon my own lust. He says, Sometimes you don't get what you want because you're selfish, Brad, in your prayers. That's what James tells me. But then I read here, I say, Well, the Spirit of God knows how to pray for me even when I don't know how to pray, and he always prays according to the will of God. So it's a ministry of the Spirit. We've we've seen some of these ministries. He places us into the family of God. He makes us he gives us he, he gives access to all of the riches we have in Christ. He He puts to death sin we saw in verse 13 and now we see he prays for us it's one of his ministries and then we come to the one of the most famous verses in the bible one that even unsaved people sometimes quote is verse 28 it says and we know that all things work together for good to them that love god to them who are the called according to his purpose that's the part that people always leave out to them who are the called according to his purpose this isn't a blank blank promise for just anybody that wants it no this is for us as christians this is a precious verse for us in chapter 8 that when we're dealing with the victory that we have in christ and it's a verse that tells us hey and it comes on the heels of talking about suffering and it says yes there's going to be some infirmities yes there's going to be some suffering that's not going to go away as a christian but god loves you we're going to see that at the end of this chapter and he's working everything together for good to them who are to them who love god to them who are the called according to his purpose and we've heard probably all kinds of illustrations of this if you guys maybe you've heard the cookie illustration right if you're making chocolate chip cookies you're making chocolate chip cookies you've heard that illustration all those ingredients by themselves except for the chocolate chips probably not very good i know i we did see someone was it one of your kids or maybe it was one of matthew's kids just a hammer and a thing of butter one time i mean just i think when they were a little kid they grabbed it off the table and were just eating butter <laughs> outside of that i mean i don't really want to just down some vanilla i don't i don't really want to take i like brown sugar but i don't really want to just take a bag of brown sugar and start eating it that way but you put all of that stuff together you bring them out about 30 seconds early or a minute early out of that oven so they're still gooey. And chocolate chip cookies are amazing. It all works together for my delight, 100%. It works together for good. And that's the idea of these verses. Hey, in the Christian life, there's going to be some things that we absolutely do not like. And immature Christians look to heaven and say, God, why are you doing this to me? I don't deserve it. Whoa, whoa, we deserve a lot worse. God, I understand this. I'm a Christian. I got saved. Now you're okay read the Bible the Bible tells you you're going to go through some suffering it's God is allowing this but when we trust him through that suffering God is going to work it all out for good and for good may not always be the exact plan that we want we kind of look at it like little kids sometimes when we're, when we're going through that store and we want that candy bar and we're going to scream and cry and throw our fit, whatever we want to get it. And we feel like now as adults that we can do that and God's going to give us whatever we want. It's like it's it's the same as this little kid looking at us. throwing a fit and everything to God is not going to get what you want, but trusting God is going to allow you to see that God's plan is best. It may end up being what you want. It may be end up being ten times better than what you want but trust God in the sufferings. He says all things are going to work together for good to them to love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. This is a promise to the believers, to Christians. And so now he's going to kind of go off of that into some very controversial verses. Very controversial verses that we're not going to make very controversial in here. It's very simple in my mind, but maybe not because it's been argued for years and years and years. But let's look at this. Look at verse 29. For whom he did foreknow. Now foreknow is not a word we use a lot, but just if you just basically think about that word, what do you think it means? Foreknow. Know before? Is that I mean, is that pretty safe to say? It's what it means, to know before. So whom he did foreknow, know before, he also did predestinate, predetermine, to be conformed, to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, he also called. And whom he called, he also justified. And whom he justified, he also glorified. This is where a lot of times Calvinism comes in. And I could take hours to try to debunk that. But people have been trying to debunk it for years. And good people on both sides of the aisle. People that I'm friends with. So I'm not going to get into all that. Here's all we need to know. There's two words at the beginning. For whom he did, if I have my... My board again, Mike, we didn't switch the chairs around, right? So you guys are just going to have to use your imagination, okay? So for whom he did foreknow, first word, foreknow, God foreknew. When did God foreknew? He's known everything, that's who God is. So in my ordination council for three hours when they drilled me, they said, which came first, foreknowledge or predestination? I said, foreknowledge. And I had, I had a few Calvinists on my ordination council, and so they didn't like that answer. And I said, well, foreknowledge is part of who God is. He's always known. He's all-knowing. It's part of who he is. So you can't, it's just, which came first, the chicken or egg? God was there. He's always been all, he's all-knowing. Foreknowledge is there. So then what is predestination? Predestination is not predetermined who's going to be saved. It's not what predestination is. God foreknows who is going to choose the free gift of salvation. Does he not? God can, I mean, from the... However long ago God, you want to go back, God's known who's going to be saved. He knew that Brad on this day was going to be saved. He foreknew that. So guess what? Because back here he foreknew, back here he predestinated. So he foreknew I would be saved at 12 years old. So he predestinated, he predetermined that in my life he's going to allow these things in my life to make me more like Jesus Christ. Because that's what it says right here. Predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. That's what predestination in the Bible is always about. It's always to the Christian. Predestination is always about the Christian growing to be more like Christ. It's It's not for salvation. He didn't predetermine you guys to be saved and you guys not to be saved. He predetermined... He already foreknew who was going to be saved, so He predetermined those that are going to be saved. are going. Here's what He's going to allow into their life. Coming off verse 28 to make them more like Jesus Christ. So God has foreknown everything. He determined some things in his life. So that would be level one. He foreknew, so he predestinated how he's going to make me more like Jesus Christ. Now come down to present day, present day back in 1990-something, so now he's got to work that plan. So he calls me. So he says, for whom he did predestinate, that was up here, then he also called. So one day, I was laid in my bed that night, i felt the spirit of god call me probably more at the sermon that i heard that sunday night then i went home still under conviction laid in my bed and that was the spirit of god calling me to be saved inviting me to the family of god i could have rejected that at the time but that day i got up and walked into that room and i received jesus christ the moment i did that's our next word in our text i was justified not anything i did i just bowed my head on that bed and prayed and said, God, I'm a sinner, and I know I'm a sinner, but you died for me, and I have trust in you and place my faith in you. And in that moment, I was justified. That's our next word. So God foreknew that from the beginning of time. So he predetermined that he's going to make me more like Jesus Christ. That started with calling me because he already knew I was going to choose this, so he called me. And now he justified me when I cried out to him. And then look what he knows is going to come one day. It's the next one. For whom he justified, then he also glorified. I haven't got there yet. That's down here. That's going to happen one day. And he already knows what that's going to be like. So he already knows I'm going to walk into heaven and probably just be crying my eyes out. Like, oh, this is amazing. God's like, I saw that coming for a thousand million years. All right? You've been bawling every time I see that picture. I don't know how it's going to be. But whom he foreknew, he knew I was going to choose. So he predetermined some things in my life. I'm going to come back to that. So he called me. He justified me. Now he sees this glorification. But remember when I said he predetermined to conform me to the image of his son? That's kind of what we're living in right now. So he knew everything that's going to happen in my life. He knew my son was going to die. He knew it. So God says, "I'm going to use that to conform him into the image of Christ." He knew it. He knew everything that was going to happen in my life. He knew when family members were going to die. He knew. He knew the kids. I was. Going to, he knew everything that was going to happen. So he said, "Hey, I'm going to take all of this." to conform him into the image of Jesus Christ. So God foreknew, who he foreknew he predetermined, predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Then he calls, justifies, glorifies, but before the glorification, all this he's conforming me to be more like his son. That's what he's saying. In uh, verses 29 down through there in verse 30. And then he goes, verse 30, and what shall we say then to these things? And I like this. If God be for us, Who can be against us? What a great verse that is. So in the end of the day, he says, listen, all of this that God is doing, if God's for you, who can really be against you? Even those that are against you that are doing these hurtful things to you, guess what? God is still for you. They can't hurt you to the point that God can't work that out for good. Even I think back to some old people like Polycarp who was killed, martyred, He was burnt to death at the stake. Some would say, oh, they got him. Did they? Because I still know a weird name named Polycarp hundreds of years later because God brought glory to a man that burned at the stake. He died young. But we're still talking about him hundreds of years later because God brought glory out of that man. So did the enemy win? No. God worked it all together for good. Now, Polycarp didn't know that. He didn't know that when he was burning at the stake, probably I can't imagine the, the, the horror that that would have been, although I think God gave a grace at that time for him. But as he was burning at the stake, he didn't think Brad's going to be talking about me in about however many years, 800 years, Brad's going to talk about me. He didn't think that. He suffered, but God worked it together for good. You've got to remember, here's, here's the key, and this is a tough one for our generation to get. Okay, Here's the key. Life's not about your glory. And it's not about my glory. And the faster we learn that, the lot easier we're going to deal with suffering. Because we suffer and we think, well, I can't believe it. How are they going to look at me? How's, how's this going to be? Or how's this going to make me, people view me? Up? Hey, stop worrying about you, Brad. Stop worrying about me. Life's not about us. Life's about God and giving God the glory and building his kingdom. And the more that we learn that, the, the easier it is. So, And if God be forced, and then what's great is we like, oh, well, well then God's kind of, we could come up with all kinds of things. But the thing is, he's given us his spirit to help us. He's given us his grace to help us through all this. He's given us everything to, to not, I don't want to use the word survive, because that means like you're barely holding on, everything to thrive. God's given you everything. And so we've got to trust him in the suffering. He goes on, he says, he says if God be for us, who can be against us? And then he gives this great verse too: he that spared not his own son. You want to talk about suffering? God gave his own son. I didn't give my son willingly. He gave his son willingly. He says, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he how how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Another reference to God praying for us at the right hand of the Father. Then he says these, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? What a great question. For those that feel like, oh, I just don't feel like God loves me, or I haven't heard anything from God, it's not going to be God's fault. Because look at what he says. He says, who shall shall separate us from the love of God? Then he's going to list some things. Shall tribulation, trials that we go through, is that going to separate us from love? No. Or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril of sword. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. How? Through him that loved us. It's not more than conquerors through Brad's strength, Brad's Brad's great ability. No. I'm more than a conqueror only through Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit that we've been talking about in this chapter. That's how I'm a conqueror. If I get away from that, I come into chapter 7 again. And now I'm like, I'm defeated. And now I'm trying to do this, but I'm actually living in sin. And, and the things that I know I should be doing, I'm not doing. That's chapter 7, because I'm trying to do it through Brad's strength. Chapter eight's all about, hey, the Spirit of God. And, if, and he's, he's encouraging us at the last part of this. Hey, who can condemn you? Because Jesus justified. Who can bring any charges against you? Because Jesus justified. Who can be against you if God is for you? He's given us all these encouraging things. And then he says, We're more than conquerors through him that loved us. He says, For I am persuaded. Here's what his conclusion is. That neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing's going to separate you from God's love. So go back to chapter 7. What you do is not going to earn you more of God's love. And whatever goes in your life is not going to drain God's love from you. God loves you with an everlasting love. So think about chapter 8, how it started. It started by saying, there is therefore now no condemnation. And then it ends by saying, there's no separation. There's no condemnation because you're in Jesus and there's no separation from his love because you're in Jesus. That is the Christian life. The Christian life is you have a new master and he loves you. He is for you. He, he's going to work everything together for your good. He's, he's given you the spirit to overcome and to put to death sin. He, he, he is in love with you. God loves you. That's the Christian life. But so often we, we get saved we think, well, when I get to heaven, I'll get to experience everything we just talked about. But right now, I just got to find a way to survive. No. Start enjoying the relationship you have with God right now. Start enjoying His love right now. Don't listen to the whispers of Satan when he says God doesn't love you. That's a lie. Don't listen to the whispers of Satan when you say, I just can't overcome this sin. That's a lie. Go back to chapter 8. Everything that you need is right here in chapter 8. He's given it to you. Romans 6, 7, and 8. My three favorite chapters in this entire entire doctrinal book that was given to the early church. 6 tells me my position. 7 tells me where I'm a bonehead and I fail. But chapter 8 says, hey, but when you get it right through Christ, here's everything available to you. Love these chapters. So. I didn't get to this part. I was—I just had some... Uh, actually, it's from my notes in college. I'll just say it to you real quick. But I remember my college teacher in Romans was my favorite. Was my favorite teacher. I actually looked him up to try to see where he's at the other day. But he gave... At the end of chapter 8, he wrote this box. And he, he said, here's how you can walk in the Spirit every day. And he gave us this. Maybe I'll start class with it next time. Because we get in chapter 9 next week. And it can get a little tricky. But he said, if you want to walk in the Spirit every day, which we should... He says, surrender to his leading daily, ask him to fill you daily, confess all known sin daily, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly daily, and then make no provision for your flesh. He's got verses for every one of those. Maybe we'll come back to that sometime. But that's what we need. We need to walk in the Spirit because he's given us the Spirit and to overcome and to thrive today. Let's pray.